Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It is your guy, Kimbui Bomani. Independent Intel Podcast has returned after a month-long hiatus. And we have a special guest. Guys probably know him. He's been around the podcast segment quite a few times now. The Blue Bloods, my guy Blue. We're here going to be talking about FCS playoff football. The second round is upon us. We'll further commence this weekend. Um, SWAC Championship will also be this weekend as well. The SWAC postseason awards came out as well. We'll discuss those things. And where will Deion Sanders go? Because the rumor mill has been churning ever so rapidly in terms of his destination beyond Jackson State. But before we dive into all that, Blue Man, how have you been? Um, how was your holiday? Um, I know you cover Auburn, and Auburn just made a reason to hire with Hugh Free. So how have you been able to juggle work, time off, and enjoy yourself during the Thanksgiving holidays so you can kind of come back in the month of December, refresh, and ready to go? <laughs> um, and there's there's never breaks, man. I was work, I worked straight through the holidays. I guess we talked some time with the family, but traveled down to Hammond this past weekend to cover uh, southeastern Louisiana versus Idaho. Uh, this weekend, I should be down in Jackson for the SWAT championship for that one. So my first game in Jackson, I'm excited for it. But yeah, it's been been a little wild, man, with the Hugh Freeze hire, all the backlash that potentially came with that. And um, on top of that, you know, the FCS playoffs and the chaos that was the bracket and the selection. And on top of that, all the coaching changes, man. Uh, Albany State's head coach took the job over at Charleston Southern this week. And on top of that, G.J. Kenny, as we're recording this, Incarnate Word head coach, they play on Saturday against Furman, and he was just announced as the next head coach at Texas State. So it's been a extremely busy last few weeks, man, but I love it, and I want to trade it for the world. Hey, man, hey, man. I, it's been hectic. It's been busy. I know you're the college football guru. You live for these type of moments. I know you've been enjoying it so far. I was able to catch a little bit of Southeastern Louisiana versus Idaho, have ESPN+. Plus. Dave Peep that you were down there as where talk to me about how that environment was FCS first round playoff game we know Southeastern last year played FAMU in Hammond won that game they were able to do the same against Idaho talk about the vibe how did you feel both teams kind of came into the matchup and potentially a biggest takeaway you had from both programs as they kind of move forward with the, in their separate ways yeah I mean it, it, was a, it was a good vibe from the home crowd I, I thought they should have, I mean that day they had like tornado warnings all up before the game. So I thought they still brought a really good crowd for given how bad the weather was. I mean, it probably didn't stop raining until about an hour before the game, but when you get a matchup like Idaho, they didn't bring a lot of people. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't expect, I mean, you take the best attendant, uh, southern teams and they're not traveling to idaho like let's just keep it 100 for that and especially with bad weather on the horizon it just the southeastern fans were great the game was interesting though i don't think a lot of people gave southeastern the chance just because i feel like they're that team that all year has been extremely underrated they knocked off incarnate word but they've only lost one FCS game, and that was an upset loss to Texas a on Commerce when their starting quarterback, Cephas Johnson, was out with injury. It was at home. But other than that, man, they've been rolling. They're the Southland champions, so you've got to give them a lot of credit. And they came out, and they were just more physical than Idaho, which is something you really can't say a lot, that the Southland team was more physical than the Big Sky opponent. Giovanni McCoy is going to be a, such a promising freshman, man. The kid's special. But even though he was special all season long, probably going to win the Jerry Rice, the key interceptions and when they happen were 
huge momentum swings. He threw an interception in the end zone to Donnell Ward-McGee, took seven points off the board for Idaho, potentially even three if they don't score there. And then they're driving down the field late in the game with the chance to take the lead, and he throws a pick six to All-American Zai Alexander, who's an absolute stud. It was just Southeastern Louisiana made play after play. And then at the end of the game, the kicker just couldn't convert. He had a 39-yard field goal, missed the first one, but the timeout was called beforehand to ice him. And then he slips on the wet turf, misses the second one, and Southeastern Louisiana escapes. Cephas Johnson probably played his best game at quarterback for the Lions. And this weekend, his play is going to be key if they expect to knock off Sanford, who's been probably one of the hottest teams in the country this year. Yeah, caught the end of that game where the kicker slipped and missed it, man. That's got to be one of the worst ways to lose, especially in the postseason where it's win or go home. But huge win for Southeast Louisiana, like you said. Very important test this weekend coming up on the road in the second round. We're going to dive into the topics. All conference SWAC awards were released the past, I think, yesterday. And mm-hmm. we're not going to mess around, man. We're going to talk about the SWAC snubs because there were a lot of them. Yeah, five on five on five of these guys on my list right now. I'm gonna go one by one, and then once it's over, I'll even ask Blue if he may have some extra guys that I left off that he may want to add. Um, the first biggest snub, me and Blue, we've kind of recognized this early on. Alabama State's freshman corner Adrian Maddox. He's a Jerry Rice finalist. Who's a member of Blue's FCS freshman All American list, and he didn't make any All Conference teams. Blue, man, how shocked were you that Maddox wasn't on a first or second team, let alone wasn't even in the running for freshman of the year as that went to Kevin Coleman, wide receiver out of Jackson State? (laughs) I mean, okay. (laughs) I mean, logically, extremely shocked because I I thought it I thought that was just I thought that was as obvious as Shador winning offensive player of the year. I really did. I mean, I thought it was just that simple. I mean, how are you going to have a freshman who is up for the Jerry Rice Award for freshman of the year as a freshman All-American, does all this stuff, and then he doesn't win the freshman of the year for his own conference and loses? Like, If he would have lost to Travis Hunter, I get it because of the hype. And also, Travis Hunter's a finalist for the Jerry Rice Award. And uh, let's just be honest, he missed a lot of the season, but there might not have been a more explosive or impactful player than when Travis Hunter came back. I'm okay with that. I'm good with it. I understood. I would understand if that was the case, but you have two kids from your conference who are freshman of the year candidates for the entire country. And they lose to a guy who is not on anything who had a, excuse me, an okay year, but not a swag freshman of the year year. I thought that was a robbery of all robberies. You're right, and I was really high on Kevin Coleman coming into the year. Um, one of the top five wide receivers coming out of high school in the country. Um, he was a mega superstar in the St. Louis area, and he just really didn't separate himself in that wide receiver room from the likes of Shane Hooks and Dallas Daniels. But um, yeah, I, you know, and, and you probably saw it, Blue. I posted on you know Independent Intel my predictions for who will potentially win these SWAC awards. I picked Travis. I know he didn't play the full distance, but in the seven games that he played, he just looked like the best freshman in the conference. Um, And so for him not to potentially get that award, because like I said, you know, in my story, Travis Hunter was the best freshman on Jackson State this year when he played, not Kevin Coleman. So 
for the best freshman on his own team to get beat out by another freshman in his recruiting class is odd. And then I think the I think the issue with Adrian Maddox and I'm gonna you know, push it back to you, Boo, to kind of see your perspective on it. Um, he did. He played everywhere for Alabama State. He was in the slot. He was a boundary corner. They even listened at safety, so he played on the back end as well. He's very aggressive, ball hawking. But it got to a point as the year went on, teams just stopped throwing it in his area code because he was that dominant as an incoming freshman. And it's crazy because when he came out of the Georgia area, wasn't highly recruited. I don't think he had a ton of stars. And really from the first game of the year in the MEAC Swag Challenge against Howard, he let it be known he's going to be a special talent in the SWAC for years to come. So I know he might not have the picks. I know he might not have the PBUs, but the tape just doesn't lie. And so do you maybe think SWAC, you know, SIDs fell into that trap when it came to not giving Maddox his respective due? No offense to any of the SIDs. I just don't think the SIDs watched enough film. Just keep it a, let's keep it 100. How many games do you think each SID watched of any other team? Yeah, um, probably not, not a lot. Much. Not much. And, and that, I, I won't say who. He told me in confidence. I had a coach reach out to me from one of the SWAC schools, and he said that their head coach did not vote for anybody on any team that they didn't face on their schedule. Uh, <laughs> Just going to keep it I, out there. And... This is my problem. Look, look, look. And this is a problem. I, I talked about it to Scotty on the side um, a couple of days ago. Um, the, if the SWAC conference wants to be taken serious in football, they have to be professional about how they do these awards, how they reward certain players for playing well throughout the season. And what you just said, Blue, for a guy not to vote for anybody he never played against, yet you potentially consider yourself a coach of a football program where vetting talent is like a huge part of your job, that's a damn shame. And I agree, like, not just, I think SID is not watching um, film on everybody within their respective conference, but then having the audacity to vote on who makes it or who's not is a robbery and a crime. I can live with fans being naive and not knowing who's who because fans usually lock in on their program, and that's it. But you're an SID making an all-conference list, rewarding your best players within the conference, and you don't put somebody up there because you've never seen them play, probably don't need to have your respective coaching job. Um, the Alabama State snubs keep getting getting worse. Jordan Nelson um, had 10 sacks this past <laughs> year. <laughs> he was tied with Kamari Stevens as the sack-leading leader in the SWAC, and he did it in two less games. And Niles Gaddy and Justin Reagan – made it over him. Yes, because Jordan Nelson, also like Adrian Maddox, wasn't on an all-conference team at all. How shocked were you about that? And when it... <laughs> and I'm going to just go a step farther, Boo. Does the swag have some vendetta against Alabama State? Because Maddox, Nelson, Keenan Isaac wasn't even on the list. I mean, it, it just gets crazy. How do you feel about all that? I mean, I've covered football a long time. Can... Maybe someone can tell me when they hear this episode, has there ever been a player who led the conference in sacks and sacks per game that didn't make an all-conference team? Like, that has to be a first, right? Any level. It, it has to be a first. And funny enough, um, as a record, I interviewed Nelson Jordan today. I'll be dropping on Monday um, on my show. We talked about it. 
and, you know, I, I expected him to be more mad than he was, but he was just like, man, film doesn't lie. Like, and, and the funny part is the the excuse I got from Jackson state fans when I brought it up was who'd he get the sacks against? I'm like, he didn't play in their D two game. He didn't play against like some of the lower competition. Like he missed some of these stat padding games. And I still do think Niles Gaddy deserved it. But if you want to use the if you want to use the comparison of when who he got his sacks by, Niles Gaddy had three and a half sacks of his six in one game against Tennessee State, who had a losing record this year. Nelson had a two and a half sack game against Jackson State, and he had a sack in every single game other than FAMU and Texas Southern that he played in. I mean, what else could he have done? And I, I don't think it's necessarily they have a vendetta. What I think has happened uh, has been more that it's not just a swack either. A lot of conferences have not updated their terminology on players. So therefore the D line and linebacker positions are very weird where you have like a Ronnie Thomas at linebacker, but you have Niles Gaddy and Isaiah land at defensive line. And so it <clears throat> messes up. So like I'm dropping my all conference next week. I have four linebacker spots on each team and four defensive line spots because I do two interior linebackers and two edge rushers on first and second team. If you just do that, Nelson Jordan is probably on a list and you don't have all this confusion on where people go. And I think it's the fact that they, the SWAC only has two wide receivers on each team, which is outrageous because no one runs two wide receiver sets anymore. And you only, you have three linebacker spots and you're including defensive ends and linebacker and other defensive ends on D line. You're going to have snub. So I think it's just a, a culmination of a lot of different things, but you can't have your leading sack person in the conference, not making all conference team. It, it that, that is outrageous. And it's just another example of SIDs and people who are voting, not doing their due diligence. Yeah, it's blasphemy, and then, and if the narrative you're pushing, Blue, is um, the SWAC's you know team building process when it comes to postseason awards is outdated, it further amplifies my point, which is if you want SWAC football to be taken serious on a national level, you got to hit the ground running and do things in a professional, articulate, and in-depth manner. And I don't really think they did that. You brought a great point up with Ronnie Thomas, man. I mean, Ronnie Thomas was a linebacker on the first team list and he barely played as a linebacker all year. But that kind of goes into what you're saying. Everybody kind of has these outdated perceptions on how certain formations are, which is how they create the list. And your receiver point, to be honest, Blue, don't have an issue with them putting two wide receivers on the list because Xavier Smith felt like the only really explosive, competent wide receiver in the conference this year. Um in terms of just being that premier wide receiver one. He was the only 1,000-yard receiver. He basically was FAMU's passing offense. So I get that. But the other aspect defensively, like, in a, in a crazy way, every team I thought, maybe except like a like an Arkansas Plant Bluff, I thought a lot of HBCU programs in the FCS blue had some very good defensive linemen. And to leave some guys out because you're not doing your homework or your system is outdated and archaic is a damn shame. And really – the consummate disappointment. And to wrap it all up before we transition to the SWAT championship game, um, I honestly thought Blue UAPB's Kayvon Britton, who's currently in the transfer portal, I thought he should have been first team, bro. Like, he was second in rushing in the SWAT, 1,063 yards, first in rushing touchdown, 16. He was the point-leading scorer in the SWAT this year as well with 96 in. And Blue, I get it. A lot of people did not watch UAPB this year because UAPB was not a very good football program. But the two games I did catch, I caught them play all corn state. 
and I caught them play. And I caught them play also Alabama State. And he just looked like the best player offensively on the field in both games. Well, probably not the all-court game because Jarvin Howard, he was just as good if not better. But he was basically Arkansas Pines above offense, and he could do no wrong most of the year. Um, what do you feel about that stance and would Britain in the transfer portal? Have you heard any rumblings about potentially where he could go to resume his college football career? Yeah, that was a little bit surprising. I thought he should have been first team. I get it because they <clears throat> touch. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, touchdown wise, easily first team. I think what happened is they just kind of looked at base stats, looked at yards, and because Savion and him were so close, they get, they gave it to the guy on the better team. You know, I still think he should have been first team. When you have sixteen rush, I don't think people understand how hard it is to rush for sixteen touchdowns, and he. And he also, because the argument for Savion is, well, he didn't start early in the year. and He didn't have the carries. Uh, Kayvon only had two more carries in him this season. So they had about the same amount of work, and he puts up 16 touchdowns. And you can make an argument, well, we were, you know, Shador took a lot of the red zone attempts. They were trying to get Shador touchdowns. Well, well listen, it, if that's the case, and the consequence of that happening is that your running back isn't first team. There's consequences to decisions. I think he should have been first team. And on my on my all swag team, he is first team. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I agree. Um, Jackson State was stat patting all year for Shador. And like you said, the consequence of stat patting is somebody's gonna potentially get left off in these postseason awards. And it kind of should have been Savion. And on the other aspect of it all, Kavion Britain was Arkansas Pine was offense. Defenses were able to key in on him all year. And he balled out against Alcorn State. He had a better ground performance, I think, against Alcorn State than Savion. Um, he performed pretty well on the ground against Alabama State. He had a better rushing performance against Alabama State than Savion did. So he performed well against the upper echelon competition in the SWAT. He's a first-team selection of mine as well. I'm glad to see you, Blue, do the right thing. Um, we're going to pivot to the SWAT championship game preview. Um the prediction heading into the, the regular season was Jackson State was going to win the SWAC East. Southern was going to win the SWAC West. And you know what? It actually happened. Um, it happened in a weird way. I mean, Jackson State hasn't looked particularly dominant the past month. You can say the same about Southern. But here we are, Blue. And I guess the first question we got to ask, does Southern have a chance in your eyes? Go. No. no. I, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. And I mean, and it's not because, listen, I mean, because you, because you could have got a lot of guests on here and they said that and it could have been, oh man, you just Jackson State this, Jackson State that. Listen, I'm the first one to keep it real about that whole situation. Man, it's just college football, and you know this, man, are about matchups. You're missing your two best running back due to injury because Gerard Sims goes down with injury. You haven't had, um, uh, now I'm blanking on his name, Kobe Dillon all year. Kobe Dillon all year. Yeah. yeah. Like, listen, the, the two young backs are are solid, but they're not those guys. And, yeah, you do have some wide receivers that can go make plays, but you have a quarterback that can't hit the brawls out of a barn. So, it, like, it's a weird trade-off. And your offensive line's been decent, but if you can't run the football, you have no shot, and I have. They haven't proven to me they can run the football against really good teams. They got away from the run game against FAMU. They couldn't run the football very well after Sims got hurt against Jackson State. I haven't seen anything offensively that scares that scares me. 
And as great as our defense is with Dumas and Lang, and we, I love Corian Harris and all these guys who I'm big fans of, man, if they're on the field for 35, 36 minutes, it's going to be a problem against Jackson State. At the end of the day, it really is. And I know it's hard to beat a team twice, but and, and everyone keeps giving me the example of Bama, Georgia last year. I'm sorry. Southern's not Georgia. They're not. They're not that good. It's hard to beat a really, really good team twice. But I don't know if that Southern falls in that category. And I would love to see it be competitive. I hate watching blowouts. But nothing I've seen on film since that 35-0 game tells me Southern's improved. And so if they run out there with McCray and they don't have they don't have a bunch of healthy running backs, I don't see Southern having a, a great chance. I don't think they get shut out again. It's hard to shut out a team two times in a year. But I think Jackson State wins the SWAC championship again, gives prime back-to-back SWAC championships. Yeah, um, look, I picked Southern to win the SWAC to start the year. I mean, they got a chance to do it, so I guess I got to stick by my pick. But I'm with you. I just don't see it. I'm, but Sean McCray has gotten worse as a passer ever since the Moonbot Classic Part 1. Like, he just, I don't, like, he looks worse. And like you stated, they're without their top two running backs. And so now they're down to Carl Ligon, who did have 57 yards on 13 carries in the Bayou Classic, but he's tiny. He's very small. And the way Southern runs the football very well, historically, is between the tackles. And we don't have your two big bruisers to do that between the tackles. You're expecting... The manager got to carry the load against the likes of Aubrey Miller and that ferocious Jackson State front seven. That's a tall act. So I think Southern's best chance, Blue, and you hear it all the time when you're an underdog in football. They're just going to have to steal possessions, whether that's uh, takeaways, fake punts, onside kicks, stuff that Dooley probably doesn't normally do because he's Dooley. He's kind of conservative. They're going to have to do that. And then on the defensive side, their defensive line is just going to have to win the line of scrimmage from start to finish. They showed flashes of doing so um, early on when they played Jackson State the first time, but then over time, they overran their lane. Shador was able to escape the pocket, get some nice runs, and then they just rode Savion to kind of wear him down. And, and that's really because, like you stated, Blue, the defense is on the field for Amber all the game. So best chance for Southern, they steal possessions, they create turnovers short in the field that allows the offensive side to – um kind of maximize point outputs because if they got to go the length of the field for like six to seven drives i just don't see how they put points on the board i no. really really don't they don't um, i mean at the end of the day the because you know a box score lies but three three areas that southern has to win in the box score to even have a chance is they ha- they have to hit the 150 yard mark in my opinion on the ground you have to win the turnover battle that's a must. I don't. I'm not even talking about zero, zero, one, one, two, two. Like you have to win it. Like you have to win the turnover battle, and you have to win the time of possession battle. If those three things happen, Southern has a chance to win. The problem is none of those three things happen the first matchup. I, except I think they may have hit 150, but the, the Gerard Sims had what that's like 60 yard the explosive, and that, that was first it. Quarter. Yeah, yeah, first quarter. So that that was it. You have to find a way to run the football, control the clock, and force turnovers. If they can't do that. Man, Southern's in for a long day this weekend in, in Jackson. And you're right. And this is despite the fact that Jackson State is not what it used to be. Like, I mean, they're they're kind of vulnerable at this point of the season. But Southern just isn't the team, in my eyes, to maximize their vulnerability. And so that's kind of where it is. Uh, we're going to dive into the Dion aspect later on in the show because I do feel like that's going to carry some paramount weight and 
potentially how this game could go, even if Jackson State wins. Because, I mean, if they win and they go to the Celebration Bowl, will their whole roster be there? But we're going to tap into that later. Um, let's talk about the FCF playoffs. The second round. First round was entertaining. Caught some of the games. It's You know, FCS playoffs, I've kind of watched it for two years now. It's an experience, and I like it. I'm going to stay tapped into it moving forward. And first round was kind of had a few close games, plethora of bowlouts, but here we are. The matchups are set for this weekend, and we're going to go one through eight since the top overall seeds are now able to play after their first round bye. Uh, Blue, number one, South Dakota State versus Delaware. Delaware's quarterback, Nolan Henderson, came back into the lineup after injury. Looked phenomenal, threw for 270 and four scores in the first round in their victory versus St. Francis. Um, their running backs, Kyron Cumbie, Marcus Yams, they ran for a combined a buck ninety-six on twenty-one carries. They just overwhelmed physically St. Francis. It was it was a mismatch from the start. Can they carry that positive momentum against a South Dakota State team? Especially since Delaware now coming into the playoffs, they were kind of beat up. They got healthy, they got that get right game. Can that momentum continue to pull off an upset against the Jackrabbits? It's gonna be tough. Now, the one good thing is South Dakota State really specializes in stopping the run, and Delaware is not a particularly run-first team. Their offense really does go through Nolan Henderson. He's going to have to have an electric game. That's what it comes down to. Can he get the football out to Jordan Townsend, Thyric Pitts, and that wide receiving core? If they can make plays on the outside and put the weakness of South Dakota State, which has been their defensive backs, out on an island and and they find a way to make plays in space, that's the key. That's going to be the key all game long. And then also, can Johnny Buchanan in that front seven slow down the, I would say, is pretty explosive rushing attack of South Dakota State, man. They got some ballers. Mark Gronikowski can get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs. Isaiah Davis is what he is, man, All the, a first-team All-American, and he's averaging like almost eight yards per carry for his entire career over three seasons. Delaware is going to have to play excellent through the air and their defense is going to have to try to make Mark Gronikowski put this thing in the air because the secondary for Delaware has been electric, man. They're second only behind Jackson State in passing yards per game allowed with like 130-ish. So they've been really, really good. Kedrick Whitehead and those guys back there have been electric on the back end of the defense. The It's just, man, I, I haven't seen enough consistency from Delaware and I think South Dakota State is built very similar to Elon but on steroids with a lot better players than what Elon had and Delaware and Delaware really really struggled stopping Elon's rushing attack and they didn't know how to handle the physicality up front and I'm worried that the front seven of Delaware is going to really struggle with the physicality of South Dakota State so I got the Jacks winning this one um, in a close low scoring battle but I just think South Dakota State is going to be too much this weekend. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing the Dakotas can do, South Dakota, North Dakota State. Um, saw North Dakota play as well in the first round. They run the football. Um, they're a very physical front team, front line team. And, you know, if Delaware can't win the line of scrimmage, then you already lost half the battle, and then there goes an upset chance. But, you know, Nolan Henderson, he looked, looked right. He looked focused. He looked locked in next round. If he could keep that momentum going, who knows? But, yeah, it, like you said, it's just going to come down to – the battle of the line of scrimmage, whoever's able to um, win that is going to win the game. And, you know, South Dakota State, if they can do one thing, they could, they can bully the best of them. So an intriguing matchup nonetheless. Uh, second one, number two, Sac State versus Richmond. Uh, for Richmond, coming off a mis- mismatched W victory over Davidson. Um, they play Sac State, who's up next. And 
if there's one thing Sac State can do, they can run the football really well, led by Cameron Scadabo, 93.5 rushing grade. And then they have a two-quarterback system featuring Asher O'Hara, who comes in and he runs it just as well, 801 yards rushing, 19 scores. Look, I remember seeing Sac State last year, Blue, um, in the playoffs. I think they lost. Um, that was that kind of their first experience. They're back yet again, and they're fully embracing the rushing style of their attack. And it's really going to come down to, I feel like in my eyes, can Richmond neutralize that Hornets ground game? You have faith they can do so? Why or why not? They've been really, really good against a run. This is a game that <clears throat> the obvious, the, the better team is obvious, like top to bottom is Sac State. The problem is Richmond matches up so well with them. They have a great front seven. The defensive line has been great this year. Tristan Wheeler and Philip O'Connor have been two of the best linebackers in the country against a run all over the place for that defense. Then on offense, you've got one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country and Reese Judinsky, who is second in the country in completion percentage this year. And last week, set an FCS playoff record. He completed 90.3% of his passes and threw over 30 passes in that game. That's that's insane. That's crazy. That, <laughs> I mean, yes, they play Davidson, but I don't I don't care if you're in practice. That's playing on air. That's hard to do. And it's going to come down to how efficiently can they block up the front seven of Sac State and can that can their front seven hold up? Because the one thing Sac State's going to do, and they've done it on everyone, is run the football. And it's because they're so <clears throat> excuse me, versatile in how they attack you. They got Cameron Scadabo. Asher O'Hara, quarterback, can get out of there. They're deep at running back, and then when they want to take a deep shot, they bring in their passing quarterback. And um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Jesus, Jake um, Dunaway. Yeah, Jake there Dunaway. you go. Yeah, Jake Dunaway, yeah. and he can hit you up top. And Marshall Marshall Martin is a problem at tight end. Man, that kid is electric downfield. And so I just think it's going to come down to whether Richmond can slow down the rushing attack of Sac State, which I think. They could give Sac State some problems, and Sac State has not been a program that has historically had a lot of success in the playoffs. I'm giving Sac State the advantage slightly, but I don't see this game being more than a three to seven point game. I think this is a one score matchup, and whoever wins this game is going to have to win late. I'm giving Sac State the small advantage because one, they're at home; they don't have to travel across the country like Richmond does. But do not be surprised if Richmond gives the Hornets all they want and more this weekend in the second round matchup. Wouldn't be surprised either because, like you stated, Sac State is not a playoff power. Like, this is probably the best they've been in school history. And I got to give it to them. You know, the saying traditionally in football, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. But they run their two-quarterback system very well with O'Hara being the runner, Dunaway being the slinger. But you said Richmond matches up schematically very well with Sac State and their ability to stop the run. Does this feel like a Jake Dunaway game? more so than an O'Hara game this weekend. Possibly, but and you never want to you you never want to give like when you get into these situations, you never want to abandon what got you there. So I it's tough. It, it's really really tough, but I I just don't think you can abandon what you do the best. I, I would say I trust Cameron Scadabo, I tr I trust Asher O'Hara. We're going to go make plays and I would say stick with what you know, man. Troy Taylor has won 18 or 19 straight big sky games. You're in the playoff against a team that just had to travel cross country that didn't have a bye week. Man, you, you just got to trust your guys up there to go make plays. So I would say stick with what you do. They're slowing it down. Then you could throw Dunaway in there. But I say make them stop what you do best first. I agree on that totally. 
Number three, North Dakota State versus Montana. Now, Blue Montana was viewed by many, the team that didn't belong during the playoff process. Um, but they got a home playoff game in the first round. And they rallied to beat SEMO despite being down 24-3. To be honest, Blue, two special team touchdowns in the second half really changed the game. But they still got quarterback concerns with Lucas Johnson. And her defense gave up 122 yards rushing in two scores from SEMO back Geno Hess. How quickly can North Dakota State run away with this one? Because I, I just I don't see it, Blue. I just don't with Montana. I, I'll be careful with that. Oh, I don't know okay. this is going to be a runaway with this one because – Yes, North Dakota State is North Dakota State. Like, I got you. Um, but they're going to be missing Hunter Lipke. They had a mass oh. exodus to the transfer portal. They, they're, this is, this one, I think this is going to be a more interesting matchup than a lot of people are, are thinking. And there's a lot of reports out of NDSU that the fans really weren't, um, juiced for this game. That they're kind of like, oh, bro, this is Montana. Like, we don't show up unless it's the semifinals or a national championship. Like, we just are that good. And I don't know if they are this year. I think Montana gives them a little bit of a run. But the, the X factor is going to be the play of Lucas Johnson. As much yeah, as, yeah, yeah, the Malik Flowers and that special teams unit made plays to get them back in the game, it was really the, the turnaround and play of Lucas Johnson that I think really sparked that team. And... If he can be efficient against a secondary that has some holes at okay. corner, <clears throat> this could be a game. And that's the one question mark. And also, we know how deep North Dakota State is at running back. I think Kobe Johnson, Tamaric Williams are just fine running backs. I think North Dakota State pulls it out, but I don't think this is a blowout, man. I could see this being a 7-10 point game. Um, and I think Montana could take an early lead, but don't sleep on the Grizz here. They've they've shown that they can compete with the best of them, and they have a three-point loss to Sac State, competed with Weber. The only blowout loss was to Montana State when things really got away on the road. And I think Montana State's one of the hottest teams in the country. But, yeah, man, don't sleep on the Grizz, but I do think the Bison find a way to pull this one out. Yeah, did not know Lipke was out. Um, he's basically their offense for <laughs> North Dakota State. That's a huge loss. And then the transfer portal madness, that creates its own monster as well. Um, Lucas Johnson, I think, is the key, like you stated. He had himself a – and I'm not saying he's this guy. I think he's better than this guy. But he had himself a Corey Field celebration bowl type game last weekend where 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 the was he in the first half and then the second half. Oh, there he is. Um, they're going to need him to be a lot more consistent against upper echelon talent. But, um, hey, North Dakota State not having Lipke. Transfer portal madness. These are two teams that kind of know each other um, pretty well. Montana, they've been here before. They do have some type of success in postseason play. You're right, Blue. I'm going to get back on. I'm going to get back on it. Okay, it'll be close. I'll give Montana State a slight chance, but NDSU probably should. They probably should pull it out. Um, Montana State versus Weber State. Mm. Um, there's concerns, man, about Weber State's health when it comes to their top two backs because they did look a little dinked up against North Dakota. But when they were healthy, Blue, man, Josh Davis and Damon Bankston, they just ran all over North Dakota. Um can he do the same against a Montana State defense that does give up 370 yards a game? Um, it's gonna be man. This this is probably the game of the week. Uh, you know, Montana State won the regular season matchup 43-38, but it was mostly due to Montana uh, due to Weber State giving up f four safeties on special teams. I heard, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a brutal. That's not gonna happen again. Yeah. So this game comes real interesting. And also Montana State's defensive coordinator is suspended for this game due to some off the field things that happened uh, in the past few weeks too. So they'll be without their defensive coordinator. 
the question for me becomes can we like you said can keep can Weber State run the football in their matchup earlier this season Weber State was held to under 80 yards rushing you cannot have that happen if you if you can't hit the 100 150 mark against the Montana State team that's running for 250 easily per game they're averaging I think 330 per game right now yeah it's going to be impossible to win this game Weber State is going to have to run the football the other x factor is First team FCS Hall American Isaiah Afonzi from Montana State's missed the entire season due to injury. He's coming back fresh. So you got a first yeah. team All American that's coming back this game with zero carries on the year, zero fatigue, zero miles on his legs this year, and he's coming back completely fresh with a team that's already running for 330 per game. And you're healthy at quarterback, both of them, Tommy Malott and Sean Chambers. I just think that's too much to overcome for Weber even with the absence of the D coordinator for Montana State. Give me Montana State by three this weekend. This is going to be the game of the week, though, man. If you're just a fan of football, this is a game to tune into this weekend. Hey, man, I'm just excited as you are, man. Weber State, the way they played against North Dakota, I'm like, yo, I, I got to check them again, man. I mean, they ran the ball at will, but like you alluded to early on in the year when they played Montana State, that offense just, and I just saw them for the first time, they really need the running game to really open up everything offensively. If they can't run the football effectively, then that will be a problem. Um, Montana State getting their best back back after he's been out for injuries huge. They got their quarterback situation on lock as well. Um, it should be a good one. Probably going to leave Montana State as well. But um, Weber, man, if their backs are healthy and they're able to get that ground game rolling, upset alert, I think, is legit and is an effect. Um, William and Mary versus Gardner Webb. Now Gardner Webb, man, what a statement when they had to start the first round. Nari Gaither could do no wrong. Two hundred forty yards on the ground, two scores. Uh, William Mary does give up three hundred forty-five yards per game, and a way to neutralize their pass rush led by John Pius would be to probably run the football. Um, can Gardner Webb's ground game travel on the road another week and pull off the FCS upset? It was a clinic last week, man, 405 yards rushing. And Bailey Fisher did his thing through the air as well. I mean, he has been electric all year. The question mark becomes, can he keep the ball out of William and Mary's hands? Because he has been turnover prone at times, and that could be an issue. And also, the X factor becomes Gardner-Webb did a great job at getting pressure on Eastern Kentucky last week. Todd French has been amazing this year as a Buck Buchanan Award finalist. But William and Mary has only allowed seven sacks this season. Mm. And they've blocked the run. They 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 block for the run so well. Malachi Amoa and Bronson Yoder have been electric combined for almost two thousand yards with, with them. They've ranked third in the country right now in rushing offense. Darius Wilson is not a prototypical pocket passer, but he's done an excellent job at producing explosive plays when they're needed most in key situations. You mentioned John Pius, but an underrated player is Nate Lynn. Ten tackles for loss, six sacks. He's been he's he's their best run defender in the front seven. And if Nate Lynn can get things going, going, John Pius get pressure on the quarterback. I really have question marks on how far Gardner Webb can go. I think William and Mary pulls away late in this one. I just really do believe in Mike London, man. I think he's one of the most underrated head coaches in the country. And I got the tribe uh, pulling this one out pretty convincingly over Gardner Webb. Yeah, Pius and Lynn. Probably um, one of the better underrated, uh, I wouldn't say underrated, but one of the better duos in the FCS when it comes to edge rushers. Um, like you said, you know, last week with Gardner Webb, it was a clinic, but man, um, a lot of their runs, man, they, they were just running away from people. And to expect that against a better comp, competition level of play with William Mary's a little extreme. So ultimately, 
they're going to have to be able to, at times, drop back and, and pass. And the question is, can their O-line hold up against those two edge rushers? And can their QB not turn the football over? And in the same breath against Eastern Kentucky, they did give up like 40-some points. So their defense is going to have to do a better job, I think, keeping Mary out of the end zone. Then for Gardner-Webb, this was huge for them because North Carolina A&T was predicted to win the Big South. It came down to those two teams at the end of the year. Gardner-Webb won it. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, okay, they won it. I don't know if they're going to do any damage in the playoffs. And they did. They won a playoff game. So um, I think they carried that momentum into making it, like you said, close early. But I think William and Mary, too many dogs. I think they pull away late and move on to the quarterfinal. Uh, Samford versus Southeastern Louisiana. This is a good one, man. Cephas Johnson, your quarterback, like you stated early on, Blue, he was good enough in the passing game against Idaho. Um, nearly 230 uh, ground yards as a team for Southeastern. And while the defense did give up 42 points against Idaho, they made enough key turnovers to help them get ahead and stay ahead for the victory. Um, how do you like Seedless' chances, man? This is a different Seedless team from last year. They really play through the running game. They're a very physical team. Um, how do you think Sanford can match up to that level of physical play? And what do you think offensively both teams will need to do to kind of get ahead and come out with the victory. This one's a really interesting game because I think it, it it's a it's a really great matchup on the field, you know, uh, scheme wise. And I think both of these teams' strengths on each side of the ball match up really well with each other. Cephas Johnson, like I said, he stole the show last weekend. Carlos Washington Jr. will be someone to watch, and also Zai Alexander, Darnell Ward McGee, two experienced leaders in the back end of that defense, have to play big against a, a Sanford passing attack where Michael Hires has come in and reset the NCAA record for completion percentage. Almost 80% of his passes is a Walter Payton Award finalist. And you got Chandler Smith and Kendall Watson who have been electric combined for almost 2,000 yards by themselves and almost 20 touchdowns at wide receiver. The biggest question mark is Sanford's run defense. They have a lot over 155 yards on the ground. Noah Martin, Nathan East have to step up in a big way because if Southeastern Louisiana can run the football and the best way to stop an explosive offense is to keep that offense on the sidelines, if they can run the football, things are going to get really interesting for for uh, Sanford. Man, I just trust Michael Hires. Every time I count them out, they faced a team very similar to Southeastern Louisiana in Chattanooga a while back, and they put it on Chattanooga in a big way. And I just, I trust Michael hires. I'm going with the better quarterback in this one. Give me Sanford in a, in, in a, in a win this weekend over Southeastern Louisiana. It is very valid. Uh, you know, with Southeastern Louisiana, I've seen teams like them before collegiate professional level where the quarterback play is decent, but you obviously need a strong running game to keep the offense ahead of the chains to make his job easier. So um, the big question with Sela is, can they stay ahead of the chains enough to make Cephas not have to win it through the air? I mean, if they can't, then that's kind of the game. And like you stated, um, best way to keep an explosive offense on the field is ball control. But ball control is only effective if you're getting four, five yards a pop every single time to wear their defense down. Um, I'm going to rock with Sanford as well. Um, I think Sela, you know, they're going to make competitive. But Idaho dropped 42 on them with turnovers. <laughs> so... You know, like if 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 it becomes a track meet, I I gotta rock with Sanford. I mean, this is what they do. But I think Sela's best chance to potentially win. It's gotta be low, gotta be um low twenties, at worst high thirties. Um, but I'm gonna rock with Sanford for this one. Um, incarnate word 
versus Furman. They kind of were, man. They got the second best offense in the FCS. Um, Furman does give up 370 yards a game. Lindsey Scott, that I mean, they can do that in their sleep. But GJ Kenny, their head coach, just got the Texas State job. So, you know, he won't be there moving forward. Um, and this is a team in Furman. They did run for 251 yards and three scores against Elon on 42 carries. How much of a chance are you giving Furman against this offensive juggernaut in incarnate work? A really, really good chance. And, th- and this was even before the G.J. Kenny news. And he'll still be coaching this weekend, by the way. So okay. <clears throat> that's that's the one good thing. He's, he, I think he's coaching throughout their playoff run, if I'm not mistaken, unless things change after we record. But Dominic Roberto has been great. First career 1,000-yard season this year. Um, the physicality, though, of Furman has been something that really stuck out. I got to see them play in person against Mercer. And the front seven, that interior defensive line and their offensive line is big. They're physical. They're nasty. They're everything I would want in 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 my, at my, at my at my line of scrimmage, and that's going to cause some issues for Incarnate Word. I think, especially when you look at the one of their big losses this year was Southeastern Louisiana. They did kind of the same thing. So Incarnate Word is going to have to turn this into a shootout. If it becomes a dirty, drag out, physical type of game, and Furman has a really, really good shot. And it's going to be interesting to see because the Cardinals have done a really good job at stopping the pass rush. They've only allowed 13 sacks. And as much as credit as we give the offense, the defense is allowing less than 20 points per game. They got two of the best pass rushers in the country and Stephen Parker and Chris Whitaker. It's going to be, I think this is a very, very interesting matchup. Even with the distractions, I think Incarnate Word has enough offensively to get it done. Give me Incarnate Word in a close one, but man, I, I'm really, really hoping the distractions off the field don't get in the heads of the players because we know that could change a lot. But give me Incarnate Word for now in a close one. I hope so too. Um, but you know, players are human. Um, so that's that's just the element you can't control. Furman, though, I mean, they ran it up on Elon. Um, now obviously Incarnate Word's a much better defense than Elon, but the tape's there. We've seen Furman's ability as a physical team to run the football consecutively, get yards after contact, get yards before contact. And one way to keep an offense from filling it up is you got to be able to ball control. Best way to ball control is run the football particularly well. And you tapped into the Sela uh, loss that they had, and it's valid. I mean, that's how UIW got clipped. Sela, that's what they do. They run the ball with the best of them. They're physical. They're persistent. Um, so, I like you said, and Conor Ward's going to have to make it a track meet. Best way to make it a track meet is you go up tempo, and then when you go up tempo, you maximize every time. Um, and so, but you're right, man. I mean, <sighs> Sela gave them problems. They're physical. Prairie View low-key gave them problems for a half. Prairie View's physical as well. Um, physicality is in Carnivore's kryptonite, I think, moving forward in the playoffs. It will be their Achilles heel. But I, like, I, like you kind of said as well, I think they got enough offense to make it out of round one. And the last matchup before we dive into the final topic, Holy Cross versus New Hampshire. Holy Cross is just one of two undefeated teams left in the FCS playoff field. They bring a top 10 offense and a top 20 defense to their home turf to play an explosive NHU team that put up 52 on an equally high-octane Fordham squad. Um, Look, man, here's the bottom line, Blue. NHU probably not going to put up 52 against Holy Cross, much better defense. So what it might come down to is what can their defense do to slow down Matthew Sluka? 33 total touchdowns. And he ran for 1,000 yards while throwing for 2,300. Dude, they got an answer for one of the better dual-threat quarterbacks in the FCS. 
man, this game has upside potential written all over it. Uh, Holy Cross, you know, this is probably the best team that they faced all year. You saw what New Hampshire did defensively to Fordham, even though they allowed 42, man, they that's still one of the worst performances Fordham's offenses have, which <laughs> speaks volumes to Tim Demorat and Fordham. But um, I'm really interested to see Holy Cross's defense, as crazy as that may sound. Dylan, uh, Dylan Lobby last week set a single game record with like 424 yards of total offense last weekend. And his explosiveness is going to have to be key. Um, also, the defense for New Hampshire has done a really good job at forcing turnovers and getting pressure on the quarterback, which is really hard when you have a quarterback like Matthew Solka who can get out of the pocket. And, all, and on top of that, Holy Cross has only turned the ball over in, uh, I believe, four times total this season, which is an insane stat. Like That includes fumbles, interceptions. I mean, that that's, that's stupid. Wow. And, and Holy Cross won their first playoff game last year. They have a lot of momentum. Their man, their coach is electric. I, I got to talk to him, Bob Chesney, in, in the press conference early, uh, probably two weeks ago. Matthew Sulka, you already mentioned him. Jalen Coker is a, just a vertical threat that really gives his offense a a nice duality from the run to the pass. And also, you know, Jacob Dobbs has been out all year, but Liam Anderson has been balling out for Holy Cross. I like Holy Cross in a close one, but man, they they're gonna have to really prove that. The Patriot League is for real with a win this weekend, man, because a lot of people are looking at New Hampshire as, as a really good team that could knock off Holy Cross. And a lot of people are deeming this the most likely upset of the weekend. But I think Holy Cross finds a way to get, get finds a way to get it done. No, I think so, too. Look, I've seen New Hampshire play twice um, for them in the playoffs and then when they played Central. Um, and you're right, like. Their defense, man, they give up a lot of yards and. They don't turn the ball over. You usually score on them. So, I look um, against Fordham, like you said, uh, they slow down Tim Demore, um, who career lows were still every normal quarterback's career high. But even in that game, he was moving the ball. It was they got takeaways, and now you're gonna have to make a Holy Cross team that doesn't really turn the ball over stumble upon themselves and, and give you a couple of giveaways it's a tall ask on the road um i think holy cross gets the w i, I do I, it's a close one and i and look i get it you know a lot of people picking new hampshire because the patriot league it's not looked at this football power conference and so um yeah holy cross is undefeated but it's kind of like the what boise boise state got in their heyday before they played oklahoma in the fiesta bowl yeah boise state's undefeated but it's like oklahoma is the best team they've played so We'll see, and then they were able to pull off the upset there and finish the year undefeated. So I'm wrong with Holy Cross. I think they get it done. But I think mainly it's because New Hampshire's defensively, um, they give up a lot. And if you can move the ball on them, it's a great chance you're going to score points as long as you don't turn the ball over. Couple the fact that Holy Cross isn't a big turnover team, then they get the W and move on to round two. Um, we're going to wrap this up because I know my man Blue, he's got Scotty Show to go into as well today. Um, the Deion Sanders carousel. Um, it's like every time I go to Twitter, Blue, I see something new about Dion. Um, some joke accounts, some real takes, some fake takes. But you're Mr. College Football. So I'm going to ask you the questions. I'm curious to know because I know you might be plugged in to a variety of sources. So first question I have for you, Blue, what have you heard from JSU's camp about the dynamic of Coach Prime potentially leaving? Um after the sweat championship. Um 
I, I don't, okay, so for me, I, I really do think it. I, I don't think he's a candidate for Cincinnati. I just want to throw that out there. I I, I know some guys who, who work up there and cover that beat really hard, and I don't think he's as – I don't think – all these reports that he's going to select Cincinnati, man, I don't even think he's talked to them or had an interview, anything. If the Cincinnati job comes along, it's because it, it won't be Monday. Everyone's reporting. Since, like, if that will be a job that's going to take a while, and I think they're going to want a Midwestern guy out of the Big Ten area to come and take that job. I don't think Prime's the guy for that one. USF's interesting, but I've I've heard they're not really offering a lot of money, and I I, I really do think I said this on my show. I think it's going to be Colorado where he's coming back to Jackson, mm. and we'll we'll find out. The one thing for Colorado is what I was told by by the guy over at two four seven over there is that they want a decision by the fifth, which is the Monday after the SWAC championship because that's when the transfer portal opens. But I don't know if Prime's going to be ready to give them an answer by the fifth. It, for me, I, I think I trust Prom, and he's never he's been extremely vocal, and throughout his whole career, he's done what's best for Prom. So whatever decision he makes, man, I just think that that's that's what he thinks right now is his best decision for himself, his family, and his career. And we'll see, man. But I really do think it'll be Colorado or returning to Jackson State. I think I think those are the two most likely options as of right now, unless some information that has not come to light comes to light in the next few days. Yeah, so with Cincinnati, I always thought that was thrown out there because obviously uh, Luke Fickle left to go to Wisconsin. But another aspect is they're an Under Armour school. So I think people are just throwing them in there like, oh, this is an Under Armour school with a coaching vacancy. We know Dion's allegiance with Under Armour for years. He should go there. Um, USF, I think, has been a trendy conversation to have because of the dynamic Dion has within the Florida region. But the money aspect is huge. If they're not offering a ton of money, and that's one of the main reasons why Deion says he consider moving to the P5 level is to pay his staff. Um, then that, that kind of defeats the purpose. I think Colorado, I think it's a done deal, bro. Like, I, I do. I think logistically, I think what Dion really, I think Dion a little bit wants to have his cake and eat it too. And I think Colorado is like, look, we'll let you get a piece of it, but then you're going to have to finish up and come to us. And that's, I think he really wants to coach the Celebration Bowl. I don't know if that program is going to let him. And I think he's willing to be like, look, we're going to win the SWAT championship. That's enough for me legacy-wise here. And then I'm ready to transition and potentially move on. Um, now, dynamic-wise, if he dips after the SWAT championship, which is projected to be the case, team-wise, do you expect Jackson State to have their full squad um, two weeks from now in Atlanta? Or are we going to get a completely different unit because half of the team's in a transfer portal? No, I think they. I think most of them would finish the season. I mean, you could have the, you know, some guys leave, but I would imagine the most most of the guys want to finish the job. And and even I think the misconception is that even if Prime goes ahead and says he's the next guy at Colorado, he could still coach the Celebration Bowl. Like it would just be pulling double duty. We've seen it happen. Matt Entz, not no, not Matt Entz. My bad. Chris Kleiman took the K State job. And coached North Dakota State all the way to the national championship game and won a national championship and then flew to Manhattan that night. Like, this is possible. It's been done. You still have coaches coaching bowl games and SEC championships. Like, there's been multiple coaches. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin both coached Alabama all the way to the Natty and took a next, took another job. I think, regardless of what happens, I think Jack State's main goal is still to win the Celebration Bowl and then the moves would happen. It's very possible. I'm not denying that. We've seen it before. But the stuff I've been reading from 
um, individuals tapped into Colorado football, they're talking like, look, after the SWAT championship is done, he's coming here and he's just going to forget about the Celebration Bowl. Now, I don't know if that means they don't know the Celebration Bowl exists. <laughs> so they're looking at it like, yo, SWAT championship, that's done the season over. But if he's able to do double duty, and that might be the last thing that he's probably talking to Colorado about, yo, let me finish this off and then I got you. Um, then, yeah, they'll be fine. Um, now, for Jackson State's sake, if he does leave, what's the next best hire for the program? Because, you know, their fan base is talking about, you know, they would love a celebrity coach. Um, but then Scotty, I talked to him on the side. He brought up uh, APR, which could potentially be coming down the pipeline for JSU. And so if that monster's coming down, you kind of want somebody within your program that can help stabilize that through the tough years of probation. Ideal hire for the program would be who in your eyes if prime is going. That's so hard because I, I don't know who's going to come available when that decision is made. I've, I've, I've been told by people at JSU that Ashley already has a short list. And, you know, we'll see. I think there's some really promising names out there. I mean, even like a Willie Taggart, potentially. I know he's been linked to the, um, to the what was it, Bethune-Cookman job, potentially. But I think that could be an interesting hire. Also, you got a lot of great young up-and-coming coordinators that, that could possibly get their start. I still think Anton Sewell up in Morgan State, the defensive coordinator, deserves a shot somewhere. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of great names out there, but just off the top of my head, Willie Taggart possibly, but it's really hard when you don't know who's going with prom yet, who is who is potentially going to be open elsewhere. Like There's a lot of guys on that Incarnate Word staff that potentially might be looking for a job that have a lot of potential there as well so i i think it's a big question mark but i mean if they're going for a big name or a celebrity coach willie taggart would probably be the first guy that came to my mind yeah taggart is out there he's available um not the biggest willie taggart fan but i mean he is available um that is an option that i wouldn't be shocked if bethune and jsu that becomes a bidding war um i it really depends on where ashley's mindset's at because he took the um basketball wise for the men's basketball team he took the route of we're going to get a guy that grew up in the area, Jackson, that went to the school to coach a basketball program in Mo Williams. Um, will he do that potentially football-wise with Dion out the picture? Um, that's an idea. But Antoine Sewell wouldn't be bad. Um, I like what he's doing as well. Um, Willie Taggart's not a bad name as well. I, no, Jackson State's going to have options. Um, I, I think uh, the reality, though, is – with a lot of programs um, at the FCS level where they have a very talented coach that departs, you kind of want to get somebody in there that can stabilize it to keep the momentum going. And um, it might not have to be a splash. It maybe just needs to be a guy that can come in and coach football. But I mean, Blue, the biggest question is how much would this how much would this switch up the swag? Um, because Dion's gone, Shador's probably not going to be there. Travis won't be there. So now GSU's starting from scratch. How wide open does the conference championship window become? And who would you potentially have as a favorite, ideally? Right now, I know it's really early to really stamp your stamp somebody down as a favorite because the transfer portal just got started. But who would you project as the next uh, takers of the throne if Dion dips from JSU? Ah, um, that's, that's impossible to answer. I mean... It, I think it would just depend on who went with them. I mean, Shador would go, of course, but, I mean, you don't know about anybody else. You don't know who – because it also depends on who they hire. Like, if they get a big name, like, who comes with them? There's just so many external factors. I, I think – I don't think Jackson would tank, like, 
to a UAPB level. I mean, they'd still probably be competitive in oh, the yeah. East. Um, I think if you just had to take a quick guess, it'd probably be FAMU to be the next ones because, I mean, they've been one game away for two years now of going to the SWAC championship. So I would just probably say FAMU early um, in, in terms of that. But, man, it's impossible to predict with that one, man. There's so many moving pieces that haven't happened with that one. Yeah, it's very impossible. Um, as soon as I ask, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that, that that's ain't fair to Blue. This ain't fair to me. But um, fam, you will be the easiest selection right now. Like you said, it, um, their kryptonite has been Jackson. Jackson's the reason why they probably don't have two SWAT championships themselves. And so if Dion leaves and you know, Willie Simmons stays, he's going to continue to build upon what he already has. Um, Kendall Bowler looks like a rising star. Um, their offensive line, I think, has a couple of pieces they could build upon. They would have to replace um, Musa, um, unless Musa can come back. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think they're the easy pick. And then I do like what Alabama State and Texas Southern are building. Um, Andrew Body, uh, with the right coordinator, could take that next step. Um, Alabama State with Eddie Robb, he was able to bring in, I think, a very solid recruiting class led by Adrian Maddox. And they were able to churn out high-level players. Who were able to make high level plays. So I agree with you though. I don't think Jackson's gonna become UAPB even if Dion leaves. I think if he's gone and they it becomes a rebuilding year for them for I guess another season, they'll be middle of the pack. But I I mean we gotta be real with ourselves. The swag does become a lot more wide open and competitive, to say the least. Um before we wrap it up, Blue, um wanna ask you a question, particularly if you know what not. Transfer portal's pretty hot. Swag-wise, I saw, you know, we talked about Britain. He's no longer with UAPB. He's in the portal. Uh, Abdul Ibrahim, he's left Alabama A&M. Um, when it comes to the portal within the SWAC, um, what have you heard about the guys that are already in the portal right now? What are they potentially looking for? Um, have you heard any programs who are potentially trying to make a huge splash by diving into the portal and getting former HBCU products? How does that portal dynamic look? right now for the SWAC conference, and who do you think could be the biggest beneficiaries from it in the next two to three months? Uh, that's, that's also tough. I mean, you know, a lot of the players just entered, and a lot of the teams, like, the transfer portal hasn't even officially opened. So, like, there's no way to tell with that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of good players. I think a lot of the players are probably testing their hand at FBS. <coughs> Excuse me. Um at FBS first, but, um, I would say it, it yeah, that's, that's impossible to say right now, man, because everyone's just getting offers. No one can even take visits, um, until another weekend, but based on offers, I think Alcorn state and FAMU have been extremely, extremely active. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if, if they can land some of those big guys that they've sent offers out to. Fair enough. Fair enough. It was great to be back, man. It was great to be back with this pod, episode 58 with my man Blue, talking FCS football. Um, FCS football weekend is will be soon upon us. Going to have the playoffs continue with round two, SWAG championship featuring Southern and Jackson State. But before I go, Blue, um, you know, tell the audience what you got cooking for the foreseeable future and um, what you can't wait to see about um, this weekend in the FCS football landscape. Um, yeah, man. Uh, interview with Nelson Jordan coming out next week. All conference, all American teams on the way. 
Uh, just man, just doing FCS playoff previews, be traveling for Celebration Bowl, SWAT Championship, some of the playoff matchups. I'm really looking forward to a lot of those. Be at the FCS National Championship in early January. Then we move it on to All-Star Games, man. But I just appreciate you having me, man. Always love to hop on the show. Hey, man, always love to add you on because you're always a great guest. But uh, this is the end of episode 58. Um, it'll be out for sure, potentially later tonight, early tomorrow. Um, make some more posts about it on my independent Intel, independent Intel IG page. But without further ado, Shaman Kimbui, I'll highlight at you guys next time. Peace.